Hey friends, this is Shadima, also known as the Type A Hippie, and this is the Type A Hippie Podcast, Cheekast episode 46. And I'm on with a new friend, Luke Story. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm so glad you agreed to come on. So Luke, I actually haven't met him in real life yet, but as soon as I go back to LA, I will. And um, Luke is pretty rad, and I heard about him because I listened to a mutual friend, Anna David's podcast, and I heard you on that particular episode. And so I thought I would reach out to you because you're pretty zany and um, you're up to a lot of different shenanigans that I think listeners would appreciate. And so that's one of the reasons I reached out to you, among some other things, um, definitely into health and wellness. So Luke, Go ahead and introduce yourself to anyone who may not know who you are um, in your own words. Sure, will do. So it's, uh, by the way, thanks again for asking me to do it. I, I love being on other people's podcasts because I have my own podcast called sure. The Lifestylist and I interview. <laughs> I think I'm up to episode, uh, just a few ahead of you, 68 or something like that. And um, nice. you know how it is when you interview people. It's actually... I won't say it's a lot of work because it's super fun and I really enjoy talking to brilliant people, but it's a lot more easygoing to be interviewed because you can just kind of like do your thing and not have to, you know, be in charge of steering the ship, so to speak. So, yes, thank you. Uh, my, story is, uh, my story is as follows. I, uh, I'm from Northern California originally. I moved to Hollywood in 1989, proceeded to uh, play in a number of different rock and roll bands that no one's ever heard of with a few people that people may have heard of. And... Uh, and then eventually sort of got into the underbelly of the Hollywood, you know, rock and roll scene and got caught up in drugs and alcohol and just essentially destroyed my life and uh, have spent the past 20 years kind of rebuilding it or I guess rather you could say building a new life because the one that I had ended up being a bit dark. So uh, in the course of that 20 years, I ended up becoming a celebrity fashion stylist and that's how I made a living for 17 of those 20 years. And then uh, nine years ago, I founded a school called School of Style, where we teach people how to become a fashion stylist uh, or personal stylist, which essentially means that you get paid to dress people. And uh, and so that's kind of been my bread and butter. But for the past 20 years, you know, I've been um, in recovery from drug addiction and alcoholism, and I've been exploring every type of spiritual practice or pursuit that I can find, whether it be going to India to learn how to meditate or doing every kind of yoga. And uh, as you said before, we started recording all of my biohacking routines and fitness routines and herbalism and superfoods and anything and everything I can do to really improve my life and uh, improve the lives of people that I interact with. So, um, which is also kind of the basis of my podcast that's been going for about a year called The Lifestylist. And it's all about building the ultimate lifestyle. And uh, that's kind of my true passion. So I still have one foot in the fashion world. But what really gets me up in the morning is be able to, being able to talk about stuff like this. I love that. I love that you are willing to try so many different things. And I think that's one of the, you know, in my work as a recovery advocate. And congratulations, by the way, um, on your recovery. That's such a big deal. And sometimes people don't even recognize the person that's in recovery sometimes doesn't recognize what a big deal it is. And, um, and then definitely sometimes people in the community don't appreciate it as well. Um, so I just wanted to not let another moment go by without acknowledging that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very grateful. You know, it's it's funny. It's one of those things where you, I mean, in, in, from my perspective, I just kind of became a willing participant and then some sort of grace entered my life and allowed that to happen and did something for me that I couldn't do for myself. But it's so much out of necessity rather than virtue. It's not like I went, you know what? I'm a real screw up. I'm going to get my life together. It's like I was in abject pain and despair for a number of years and finally just, you know, hit a bottom and got desperate enough to uh, open my mind to some other ideas uh, other than my own. But thank you. I appreciate it because it is like, especially 20 years is a milestone and I'm very grateful for it. I just, I don't take much, if any credit for that, um, that transpiring. Sure. Yeah, no, I, and I relate because I'm uh, a person that's in recovery from an eating disorder. I had a 20 year eating disorder and, um, you know, I would say probably three years ago, 
was the first time that I started to have a healthy relationship with food. And a lot of them, there's a lot of similarities between different addictions and different um, kind of coping mechanisms, depending on the way you look at it. So everyone doesn't look at it the same way, you know. Um, and I believe that there are multiple pathways to recovery. In so many different arenas, if you are willing, like you said, um, and able to hear that your way or see that your way has not been successful, <laughs> and perhaps listening to someone else might be a better way, um, a better way to do it. Um, so, yeah. So yeah, cool. it's called it's called being beaten into being teachable. <laughs> right, and it's not funny, but it is because I get it. I really, really get it. Um, yeah, I think most of us kind of go through life uh, living by our own rules. I mean, that's certainly the way that I lived the the first half of my life was thinking everyone else had it wrong and I've got it figured out and I'm going to do what I want to do, damn it. You know, and that rebellious thing is sexy in movies, but when you're the one living it and um, and the repercussions start to catch up with you, life has a way of uh, of bringing some humility into your life. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. That was no. certainly the case for me. It's like, okay, my ideas are not working out anymore. Let me um, let me read a couple books, listen to a couple other people that seem to have it figured out. Totally. And that, you know, that still continues. I mean, I always I always um, you know, hit up my dad, for example, for relationship advice because he's happily married for seventeen years. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like not to my mom, obviously, but uh, <laughs> he's he he got the third the third one right. So it's like I'm gonna go to someone who has had more success than me. And certainly when I first sobered up, I started um, you know, getting a lot of um leadership from people who had gone before me, you know, which is great. But it takes an open mind and a humble mind to be able to do that, to surrender your will, you know, and everything that you think you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you talked about relationships, actually, on uh, Anna's podcast, which um, there were some interesting things, because it was actually cool to hear someone acknowledge that they were part of the problem um, in various relationships, because I think that's one of the issues that overwhelmingly our society lacks is a willingness to be open-minded and honest about what is really going on. And, you know, sometimes people think it's always the other person. And it's like, wait a minute. So you're telling me that <laughs> you've been in this relationship, this relationship, this one, and this one, and this one, right? Who's the common denominator? And none of them have worked out. Who is Who's the common denominator? You know, you don't think that you play a part in what is going on <laughs> with your life. It it always baffles me when people can't see that portion um, clearly, you know, and they keep doing the same thing, expecting a different result, which we know is. Absolutely. Right. Well, you know, I, I think the, the road to freedom out of victimhood is taking responsibility, you know, and that's one of the great things about. Uh, recovery in general. I mean, I think no matter what system appeals to you or works for you, uh, inherently within all psychotherapy, self-help, personal development, 12 steps, um, most forms of spirituality that I've ever come across um, all involve uh, self-inventory and inquiry and, and self-honesty to really look inside as objectively as possible and own my own part of any situation. So yeah, in relationships, I mean, God, it's it's the the easy way out to blame the other person, but um, you know it's it's well actually on that note I think it's also equally dangerous to maybe put all the blame on oneself. You know I tend to sure. be uh, probably overly self-deprecating and self-blaming. That's <laughs> something that I'm really working on. So there, I guess there's a balance there, but certainly like the 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 methodology and mindset of pointing the finger at the other person. Uh, is not going to get anyone very far because the thing is too, you know, that I've realized is in any relationship that I've been in, be it family, friends, uh, romantic, is that I have to acknowledge it. Well, I guess not with family, but with friends and lovers <laughs> that I'm the one that picked that person, you know? Sure. So 
where was my level of consciousness at the time that I decided, yeah, this is a viable friendship or partnership or whatever it was, even in business, same thing. It's like, you know, I think there's always a lot of blame in those business relationships and romantic relationships when things go south that it's so easy to point the finger. But I, I always have to look at, well, you know, no one held a gun up to my head and, you know, yeah. and forced me to engage in some sort of uh, agreement with this person. I willingly did. And if that person turns out to be rotten, well, then, you you know, it's some of that is on me for um, ignoring certain facts that I saw early on, or just um, you know not being prudent in my decisions in terms of who I want to get involved with or not. Yeah, no, totally agreed. Well, and it's that thing of you know we've all had family or friends that have dated the exact same person; they just happen to have different faces. Right, and different right. names, right? And maybe their hair was different, and maybe their jobs or occupations were different. And at the same time, it's like. Wait, we've been here before, you know, Absolutely. and again, it's like, who's the common denominator or even, you know, I remember there was like five years ago, I started with a company that I'm currently still with working um, and we're in healthcare. And so I remember becoming friends with a woman that's no longer with the company um, and she was pretty unhealthy and guess who made who unhealthy like she influenced me it was not the other way around sadly um and so our friendship was pretty unhealthy and that snowballed and then I met someone a romantic interest and that relationship was unhealthy and then it spiraled into another unhealthy relate like it was just not good for about six months until I felt like there was a black sheet over me and I could not claw my way out and I was really spiritually in trouble. And as I reflected, once I got past and beyond, you know, I was able to see that I was in relationship with all these people, whether it's a friendship or a romantic relationship or a working relationship. To your point, I made these agreements and I sought out these people, which is how it happened. Like the divine allowed our past to cross and sometimes I believe the divine allows paths to cross and I'm supposed to keep walking, you know, <laughs> I'm yeah, not it's supposed funny, it's to funny stop. Like that. It's funny like that. Yeah, I know, man. That I, I tell you, I guess that's why I, I talked about that so much on Anna's podcast. The one that you listen to is, sure. I mean, relationships are the ultimate teachers, aren't they? It's, Always. it seems to be, uh, it seems to be why we're all put here together on the planet. I was thinking about this the other day. It's like, if, if the relationships weren't meant to reflect ourselves back to us and give us opportunities to evolve, we would each have our own little mini planet, say like God would have just put me on my, on my own little planet, like, you know, the size of Detroit or something. We could each just have our own planet. There's God knows there's enough space in the universe and enough matter and enough suns and stars that we could all be hanging out. But no, we're all crammed here on this one planet together, uh, reincarnating, at least according to what seems to make sense to me over and over and over again in all these different roles in this, in this drama of life. And, uh, and these relationships, you know, in these uh, physical forms seem to be the biggest teachers, you know, which sucks because just when you think you've got a good one and you've got it figured out, uh, you know, something ultimately goes awry. And then there's things that are, as I said, I mean, my experience reflected back to me That's that I right. get to work on. There's no like utopian place in life where all the relationships are smooth sailing. It's like, especially if you're on a, on a serious spiritual path, it's like, get ready for a lot of roller coasters because yeah. that's, that's what facilitates that growth, you know? And it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable. I mean, the past couple of years for me have been very difficult in that area. And, um, you know, I haven't felt comfortable in a long time because I've been going through so many changes in that area. I mean, I've been comfortable and successful and happy in other areas of life, but it's just like, God, this seems to be a sticking point. Yeah. No, I agree. I've talked about uh, about this on the podcast. Like, and I've talked about it in social media too. Like romance and finance for me has been a problem. And I realized for me when I did some work last year, because I actually lived in LA for a little while or in California for a little while when I was, um, I had started a pre-med post-bac program last summer. And that was a season of literally trials, tribulations, um, travel and trauma because <laughs> on my way to 
California from Vegas. I lived in Vegas for almost 10 years. The trailer I was towing flipped my truck over. And so I was involved in a pretty bad car accident almost a year oh, ago. Oh, wow. To the day. Yeah, May 7th, 2016. Wow. And I, I mean, when people saw the photograph, um, I could have, I may not be talking to you right now. I'll put it that way. Um, but there is a higher purpose and I live to tell about it and, um, like had to, you know, crawl out of the passenger side cause it was completely on the side, you know, just really traumatic. Um, and not the body to, keeps that trauma, to, right? Go ahead. Yeah. Not to be materialistic, you know, because obviously you, you survived physically. Sure. I'm sure there was a lot of trauma there, but what happened to all your stuff? Did all your stuff break Oh my break God, too? can I tell you? So <laughs> I'm like, I'm picturing like your flat screen TV oh, shattering yeah. and your computers and you know what? So crazy. The U-Haul itself, it was flipped over on its side, but it was intact. Like the stuff was intact. And I had a flat screen TV in there. I had, you know, I had stuff in there, like a lot of stuff because I had a two bedroom, two bath condo. Um, And so everything wasn't in there, but a lot of stuff was in there. And um, yeah, so and then I'll, I'll, I'll text you the photos, um, or email you the photos that, um, <laughs> I had weights. You'll get a kick out of this. And so the, the back of the wind, like it's a small SUV. It was a small SUV, totally got totaled by the insurance company, but, um, the rear, you know, view, um, excuse me, the rear window was blown out by like physics, you know, and the centrifugal force, um, cause it flipped me around, you know, and I was airborne, but that, <laughs> so the weights that I had in a box, <laughs> they were on the outside of the car. Um, so there was stuff strewn around. And so when, um, medical personnel came, they were like, we should take you to the emergency department. And I'm like, not with my stuff hanging out, you know, in the back seat. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. We are in it. So that I can come back to my car and, like, it's been picked over and none of my stuff is here. Nope. Um, so, yeah, stuff was everywhere outside. Wow. Sure. wow. And I had just, this is funny, too. I had just gone to, what is it, coffee, bean, and tea leaf. And I had gotten an extra hot chai tea latte because that's my drink. So I had the chai tea on the side of my face and my hair on my Lululemon <laughs> scuba jacket. Because yeah. it had flipped around, you know, and it was it was hot. But I didn't even notice because I was in shock. So, yeah, it was there was a lot. <laughs> it, there was a lot going on. And so when I got to California, I wasn't grounded like I wasn't in my element you know um i was just kind of surviving not thriving at all um yeah i'm sure and i remember my loving life coach telling me something about relationship because i had started dating someone out there and i had heard her say you're not like essentially you're not ever going to be ready in relationships so that like breaks my heart right but she was like honey that's not what i said what i said was right now you're not grounded. You're not rooted in anything. When you go back to Vegas, you know, tie up loose ends, release stuff to new owners, that sort of thing, and move back home, which is Michigan, where I am now, you will be in a much different place than you are right now. And she couldn't have been more correct, you know, because I'm definitely, and it's funny because I, when I talk to my friends from Vegas that have known me for almost 10 years, right, and my friends in L.A., Everyone's like, you sound different. Like, you sound really grounded and really happy. And I know that happiness, sometimes people are like, it's so, I mean, what does that really mean? But there is a deep, like, soul connection when you're connected to the very things that you're, you have passion for and other people too, right? So it's not just in a romantic um, scenario, but just knowing that you're exactly where you're supposed to be. It's like when I look up at the sky and I see the sun peeking, even peeking through clouds or just the sun shining, that's how I feel connected to the divine. Or when I um, look at the clock and it's 11-11, same thing. Like there are certain things that happen that are just kind of confirmation, like, okay, you're doing the right thing. And that changed. Like once I got here 
and actually got clear, um, things shifted for me where like business started to take off in a different direction and, you know, even relationships, friendships, that sort of thing. So I totally can relate to like the pain for me, the pain, the divine always gives me an opportunity to do things differently. And yeah. if I'm yeah. willing, right. If I'm willing, um, because I can always bury my head in the sand and be like, F it. I, I like, I'm not interested in, in doing that, but it's like, how much do I want freedom? Exactly. And what is that worth to me? You know, exactly. do I want to be bound continually or perpetually, or would I like to be a little bit scared, but still move through that fear and do it anyway, feel it, move forward and then do something different that might actually work out better, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, it's like that, uh, the saying, I don't know if you've heard it, but that you can't coast uphill, you know? <laughs> Totally. <laughs> it's like, there's no. I, I, for me, it's like once I made the decision that I really wanted to evolve and grow spiritually for whatever you know. How to, every human being, I'm sure, has their own interpretation of that. But for me, it was just to enlarge my spiritual life, just to become aware of more than my thoughts and my feelings and the material world and all of that kind of stuff. But really, to get acquainted with who I really am uh, beyond all that. And once I made a decision that I wanted to do that and have a direct experience with God or higher power, whatever you want to call it, sure. that it's like the brakes just have been ripped off and it's just full speed ahead. And sometimes it's it's gnarly. I mean, that's that's the thing is I think a lot of people that are, I don't know, perhaps younger or newer to the idea of personal development and, and spiritual evolution and just waking up, having that awakening, uh, they think that you learn how to meditate and do yoga and light incense and you're just going to be sitting around oming all day in this state of bliss and there's a lot of talk about the divine grace and bliss and happiness and all that. It's like, that's not what it's been like for me. There are moments of that for sure. And there's a lot less time spent in those lower states of, you know, apathy and frustration and grief and shame and anger and jealousy and condemnation and guilt and all of that stuff. I mean, for sure there's been an elevation, but it's really, it's really not the easy route to uh, to choose to evolve. And I think in my case, like once I made that decision, it's just full speed ahead. The brakes are off and I have to be ready to kind of um, take life as it comes and know that there's a purpose behind it. Because without a sense of like purpose, if I don't have a goal in mind that I, I want to evolve as much as possible during this lifetime, then it gets frustrating because I'm then I'm looking for like the cash and prizes. Well, I was a good boy. I was spiritual. I meditated for this many years. How come I'm not just blissed out all the time? It's like, well, that's not that's not the way that the human life works. If if life was supposed to be this utopian bliss fest, then um, we would have a lot different human experience. There wouldn't really be room for growth, right? It's like it's like putting a Road scholar, you know, PhD back through kindergarten, there would be no point. I mean, you have to be challenged in order to grow, right? right. It's like when you, you take an infant and they start to grow and you want to teach them how to walk, they don't learn how to walk by walking, they learn how to walk by falling. That's right. <laughs> you that's know, right. and that's and that's the human experience. It's like, okay, cool. I I it sounds like you're the same type of person. I am one hundred percent willing to fall on my face over and over and over again if the payoff of growth and maturity uh, and wisdom is there. If there's That's no right. payoff, then I'm not in. But there always is, even in like a tough time. I mean, I've been struggling for the past, I don't know, God, like a couple months. It's been challenging. I've just I've been trying to focus on work and making money and all that. And it's like, nope, um, the universe is sending me like relationship lessons. And I'm going, okay, cool. I guess this is what I'm supposed That's to be learning right. now. And at some point, my will maybe will align with, with divine will and I'll be back grinding and growing my brand and all the things that I want to do. But for right now, it's like, wow, let's take a look at how uh, terrified I am of intimacy or getting hurt or whatever kind of things that I've been avoiding for all mm -hmm. these years, you know? So it's it really is not for the faint at heart, I think, once you set out on the spiritual journey. Yeah, and, and the thing is, it's so different, right? Like, I mean... When I said romance and finance, I wasn't kidding either, right? It's like, and you know, because you're a podcaster, it's so funny because when people, people listen to podcasts, right? And they feel like they know the people. And uh, 
even if they don't, because, well, hopefully someone's, you know, you're relatable to other people um, and you don't come across as you've got your whole life figured out because I do not. So friends, if you're listening, um, if you were confused about that, let me clear it up. I am not all the way together ever. Um, And I'm glad about that. Uh, I recently paid off a huge chunk of money um, that I'd owed. That's like old debt that I had just felt like it was better to just bury my head in the sand and not think about it and continue living my life without realizing that there's spiritual principles to finance also, you know? Right, right. Um, And so I was so bound, Luke, like so bound. And so um, like over the last two months, I paid off five grand and it has been like one of those things of, um, I felt so free. And I was like, why didn't I do this sooner? And then the next thought was like, okay, don't even go down there because you weren't ready to. If you were ready, you would have done it. <laughs> like today you were ready, which is why it happened, you know? Um, but yeah, it's, I think sometimes like even in faith perspectives, right? There are certain faiths where, People are like, oh, I'm saved, you know, and then they think their life is going to be like skipping on a sunbeam to Jesus. And that is not what ends up happening for them. Um, And even like turning it into, you know, because I think there's spiritual in everything. Not that I speak in a way where like I'm always uttering the word God or divine or anything like that, because that's not necessarily authentic to me. Um, But I see it um, and something you said about enlarging your spiritual life um, and, you know, the path. And I feel like the path gets more narrow too. the longer you're doing something or living your life a certain, in a certain manner, um, like fitness, you know, and health and wellness where some people, depending on what they eat, like people look at it that way, you know, or the, the movement that they choose to do, like as an exercise, you know, whether it's yoga or lifting weights or going to the gym or just going to classes, group fitness, intercycling, whatever the case may be, it's just kind of figuring out what works for you and is authentic to you and moving forward and being okay with, okay, that doesn't really work, but it's not, I just don't want to deal with it. It's like, it just doesn't fit. You know, it's not really my authentic voice. Um, I'm attempting to be someone else or do something that doesn't sit well in my soul and kind of moving away from it or moving towards something if you find that it really resonates with you. Um, I do want to ask you about... (laughs) Being injected with poisonous frog venom. <laughs> that's How a good did one. that? What in the <laughs> hell? <laughs> that's just that's just some cool stuff to put on the homepage of your website to keep people reading. Uh, no, it's you know it's funny you mentioned that because this morning I was looking, um, I was just like drying off after the shower, and I was like, oh, my skin's kind of rough on my arm, and I, I happened to look back in the mirror and I saw these um, seven little scars on on the top of my uh, like the outside of my uh, shoulder, upper bicep. And I was reminded of that. And uh, yeah, that specific uh, experience was um, called a Cambo frog ceremony, K-A-M-B-O. And this is a a South American practice that involves taking a certain type of frog, a Cambo frog, and tying it up uh, like in a sort of like hog tying the frog with some sticks. You know, this is Amazonian shaman shit here. And um, agitating the frog so that it excretes this venom. And uh, and then what they do is they take the venom and they dry it and they turn it into a powder, sort of like a, kind of like a paste, actually. And then what you do is you take a tiny stick and you make a hot ember out of it by burning it. And then you burn your skin in a series of um, different little holes, essentially, and you rub a little bit of this venom. You don't. I mean, this is like a total like sure. shaman-type ceremony. And uh, and then what happens is you get violently ill for about 10 or 15 minutes because the frog venom is uh, so poisonous that if you were to put it into your bloodstream, it would kill you. But what happens is it goes into your lymphatic system because it goes into a burn, not mm-hmm. an injection or a bite. 
Uh, so it's sort of like, you know, snake venom might not kill you if they didn't bite it into your blood, you know? Sure. This is like a very simplistic uh, viewpoint of it. And uh, the purpose of doing that is to put your immune system on hyper alert and to purge your body and detox your body in um, a really fat, a short period of time. So your projectile vomiting, diarrhea, 10, 15 minutes, things are coming out of you that you didn't even know were there. And you're basically just kind of resetting your entire immune system. And this is a practice that's been going on for God, I guess, you know, for as long as recorded history of those indigenous peoples down south. And um, they use it prior to going hunting. And so one of the things that I noticed uh, particularly about that experience was that I became hyper, hyper focused and alert and any signs of brain fog or any sort of just like dopiness was eliminated for, I don't know, maybe four to six weeks after that. Wow. Um, I don't typically get sick, so it was tough to really determine what the benefits were in terms of my immune system. But it was just one of those things I did a bit of research on and, you know, Googled a bit, talked to a few people and was just guided to do. And it was something that, you know, I was invited back to do again and friends of mine have wanted to do it. And it's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like the, <laughs> right. the one time I was like that 10 or 15 minutes while the poison is entering your bloodstream and your body's immune responses, getting it out is excruciating. And um, unlike some South American plant medicines or uh, you know, shaman type, shaman led experiences, there is no euphoria and no intoxication or hallucinogenic experience associated with the Campbell frog. So unlike an ayahuasca ceremony where you're mm -hmm. getting high on DMT and seeing angels fly around your head or whatever, uh, this is not like that. But it's it's a great story to tell. And, you know, I've got the scars to prove it. And it was just one of my many biohacking things and it you know if i had seen mm, more measurable results from it maybe it would be something that i do once a year every couple of years but it was just like cool okay tried that definitely felt totally. different as a result and uh and moved on to the next thing that was less vomit inducing totally yeah that's that sounds intense i'm glad that you live to tell about it and <laughs> yeah it was cool. so people was cool. can make a decision like mm, that's okay yeah, you can. Luke already did it. Yeah, Cam Cambo Frog Ceremony. There's a couple little short little documentary YouTube videos on it stuff. It's it's interesting stuff. I mean, you know, to 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 Western minded people, things like this sound insane, you know. And I, I guess that's why, in a sensational way, I put that on my website. It's like here's all the crazy shit I've done to like optimize my life. But we have to understand that for. <laughs> thousands and thousands yep. of years human beings have been doing all sorts of strange things to That's improve right. their improve their life and their sense of well-being i mean i was at a kundalini yoga class this morning mm -hmm. and um, and my girlfriend is going, what, why do you do all this weird stuff? Like with the hand movements and all the breathing, like, I don't get it. She's like, I would be into it if I knew the purpose of it and some of the history. Sure. And it's like, dude, I don't know. It's like, this is 6,000 years at least worth of yogis in the Himalayas uh, living in caves and just experimenting with different postures and movements and, and breaths and mantras and words and sounds and vibration to manipulate energy until they felt good. That's right. And the things that worked stuck, you know. So all around the planet, human beings have been figuring out how to make themselves heal, uh, stay well, stay grounded, stay connected. And I think that uh, some of the things that we do in our modern culture, like, you know, watching six hours of Netflix per day to uh, a, a jungle person living in the Amazon probably seems equally insane. as insane. That's staring right. staring at an electric light, light box that's projecting fake <laughs> fake right. worlds into your brain. Totally. Like that's actually pretty weird too, you know, from a certain perspective. Yeah. So so I try to keep an open mind, but at the same time, there's, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure that practices and supplements and health regimens and all this stuff that are totally bullshit too and don't yeah. do anything. So it's just a matter of, I think, following your gut and your heart and having that's a right. sense of discernment and then just doing what works. So yep. if I, it, like Kundalini Yoga is a great example. A lot of people think it's really weird, but I don't know, man. I've never had a class, you know, that go to 90-minute classes three, four days a week, and I've never walked out of class going like, ah, that sucked. Why did I waste my time doing that? Totally. I'm always 
oh my God, thank God I went to class. Yeah. I don't know what we're doing. I, I can't translate the mantras into English and tell you what they mean. I just know when I sit and sing these mantras, do these breathing techniques, I come out of there feeling a lot less anxious, a lot less depressed, a lot more hopeful. I uh, have a lot more love in my heart. I feel more grounded, more connected, more focused. So I keep doing it as weird as it is. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I mean, it's just like when people say to me, um, now people asking me how to pronounce my name, that's totally cool. People getting it incorrect, that's totally cool. When people say things like, well, that's an unusual name. No, it's not. In Nigeria, it's very usual. It's very common, right? I just happen to be in the U.S., and so it's not even it's not even that un, like uncommon here um, in certain parts of the country. So it's just a matter of perspective and how we say what we say, right? So it's like what you did with the Cambo frog is very common in one part of the world. It may not be so common here. It doesn't mean that it's right. You know, um, one of my friends always says, just because someone does something differently doesn't mean it's incorrect. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. And so it's like, I have to catch myself when I watch people do things that I would do in a different manner, just to allow them the, their own experience, right. And I could learn something, you know, if I'm always quick to kind of jump in and do it the right way, and I'm using air quotes, I could very well miss the lesson. Um, I was talking to a friend because it seems to be a season of like, pruning for some of my friends in terms of their own personal relationships. And so I was telling someone that, um, now I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I totally know the feeling. <laughs> you were talking about your friends pruning their relationships. Yeah, pruning their relationships. And um, I was talking about like before the uncommon, but yeah, it was so well, good too. But <laughs> well, that's okay. I've I've got one. I've got one for you. I'll pick up the thread from before okay. that, and maybe it'll awesome. come back around. Yeah, it's so funny when I'm interviewing people on my show. That happens all the time. I'll be like, okay, so da da da, and I have this big thing, and then I'm like, um, actually, you know, it's funny. It happened two days ago. I was uh -huh. recording here in my studio, and I was like, oh, I had the perfect thing to like lead into this segue into this next section, and then I was like halfway through a sentence, and I just had to say, you know what, I totally forgot what I was saying but I was going to uh, reference something in terms of just that you know that broad open-minded point of view and that is just because I like chocolate doesn't mean I have to hate vanilla right you know it's like I think the world could use a bit more uh tolerance and on the conservative and probably even more so the liberal side of things you know sure. I don't want to get into like politics because it's something I know very little about but um, just in terms of human relations and how we view different cultures and societies and different uh, peoples from around the world it's like I don't know man I mean there's you go to I was in Thailand and Cambodia a couple years ago and most of the street food includes some sort of bugs Sure. And to a Western person, like, oh, my God, that's so disgusting. You're eating grasshoppers? Those Cretans, those those um, savages, how could they do that? And it's like, uh, we wouldn't be here <laughs> having this conversation if our yes, ancestors sir. hadn't subsisted on uh, bugs for, you know, the, the entire history of, of humans, you know, at least partially. So it's like I, I think that um, inclusiveness and that tolerance is so important because it's like – Dude, just there there might be it's like how do you say a song is a good song or a bad song? Right. Everything is totally subjective. Yeah. I mean, especially in the world of art. I went to an art exhibit today and I'm looking at some of the photography and I thought, well, I like that one more than that one, but does that mean that the one that I like more is better? No. It just means I just have a preference for that one. That's right. And it's a it's a very it's a very freeing way to live when you can live like that because you're able to let old ideas out of your consciousness yeah. that might not be serving you and right. also let new ones in. I think that's the the key to open-mindedness is it's sort of this like swinging door that opens both ways. Like old crap can get out and, yeah. and new useful information and practices can get in. And that's like, that's a very fluid and freeing way to live. That's right. Well, and the thing is too, it's like looking at, um, you know, Looking at ourselves, back to your point about like a reflection of other, like every time I've ever said, oh my gosh, I would never do 
XYZ. Like the divine always shines. It's like a movie actually. And I see myself doing the very thing that I said I would never do, like indignantly, like so ego, right? So pride. Um, And worse, you know, like not even that bad thing that I said I would never do. Like, oh, I went beyond that, right? So I was even worse than this person that I'm like talking smack about. So um, keeping an open mind and um, being aware, like self-aware goes a really long ways. And I, I think that's sometimes lacking in our culture, just this like, what I attempt to do is kind of be a third party in my own conversations so that, but I have to be mindful of not overanalyzing too, right? Because the conversation Oftentimes when I'm sitting thinking about it, the conversations already happened. So like being aware and taking a look at the flaws in my makeup that have caused my failure, you know, um, things that are barriers to good communication or things that are getting in the way of my relationships. It's good to be mindful of that and not just be mindful, but do something about it. Um, But I can't afford to kind of in that like space of morbid reflection or just like overanalyzation of things. Um, but keeping an open mind and just can like being free with it. It's like, I'm wearing a light sweater right now. It's not tight. It's not overly loose. It just feels really comfortable. And I do my best to live my life that way in that space of like, okay. And I don't mean discomfort from the work, right. Or life happening. Um, because those there are periods of time where there is significant discomfort and it's as it should be. What I mean is like not hanging on to my own opinions or my own expectations so tightly. Like just being in the moment, being in the present because that's where the power is and things can actually happen right here, right now instead of just hanging on to what I think it should look like or what I think it will be um, has been so helpful to just kind of navigate life. Cause it's super awkward, right? Being an adult, but growing up. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's, it's very challenging. I, I like what you said about training oneself to be in the position of the witness. You know, I mean, this is something that all of the Mm -hmm. spiritual traditions basically teach us to do, or at least attempt to do. And that is to be able to see ourselves. So as I sit here and record this podcast to you and I see my ego wanting to say something that makes me sound super erudite and impressive to the listeners and how, how wise I am or spiritual I am. It's like, if I'm not aware of that, then my ego is just going to come in and maybe I won't be, you know, flipping people off in traffic and that side of my ego that's angry and judgmental and hostile might not be in charge, but the part that uh, wants to be superior to other people because I'm more spiritual or you know things like that will come in. So the self-awareness and the witness has to be present or or I think each of us are sub- subjective to going back to sleep, you know, and it's yeah. like we, you know, the ego is going to take on any form it can and feed on anything, being the best this or the best that, or conversely being the worst and the lowest and yeah, the most right. shameful, you know, it's sort of, it has two sides of that same coin. And uh, I think what's been important for me, as I, I think I mentioned before, I tend to be really sort of hard on myself. And I mean, I've been to countless therapists and they're like, God, you really like have a low opinion of yourself. This is not good. Like you're a great guy. You really have your shit together. You really put yourself down a lot. I mean, I hear that all the time. I'm like, God, how do I stop doing that? So I think it's, it's a matter of, uh, you know, of staying self-aware and, and, in and inquiring and, and witnessing the mind and the ego and having that sense of separation that practices like meditation give us, but then also being kind and forgiving with whatever it is that we find, you know, so say I find myself that, oh man, I really suck with money or relationships or whatever it is I'm going through. It's like, yeah, I need to be honest with myself and acknowledge the truth that there's perhaps some things that I can improve, but I have to, me personally, I have to be very um, careful not to become judgmental and and self-critical, but rather just observing and saying, hey, I'm just going to, in a neutral way, take a look at myself and say, yeah, this area of my life could really use some improvement, but not to be down on myself for it, because then it's sort of like a double jeopardy. It's like I'm finding something 
that's a negative that I could work on and then I'm beating myself up with that thing that's probably going to perpetuate itself into doing the thing that I'm critical of that's even right. more because I'm in so much pain now because I feel like such a loser. Yeah. So it's like that balance of acknowledging how much coal I've shoveled and how much progress I've made and also having the humility to see like, yeah, all right, there's still some work to do, but wow, I really have. Like in the beginning of this um, a talk, you said, wow, you know, I want to acknowledge the years that you have sober and how long you've been working on yourself. And that's, that is really important for me to see, but at the same time, I can't rest on my laurels and be that's like, right. yeah, wow, I've really got it figured out. It's like, oh my God, I'm I'm still an infant in so many ways. And that's really the the great design of our of our lives is that we're always an infant in certain areas. There's always room for growth as long as we're not um, too tough on ourselves, you know, just tough enough to like keep pushing, but not so tough that we become like an abusive parent to ourselves, which that's I've right. been um, unfortunately guilty of doing a lot of. Yeah, no, I, I love what you said and we'll probably wrap up here shortly. Um, but there are a couple of things that, um, you know, like it's a give and take. And um, I heard it once someone said, I'm either the shit <laughs> or I'm shit, right? And it's like, right, right. can I just be, can I just live? You know, can I just give myself a break? But not too much of a break. One of my friends, she has her own podcast called Love Activists. And um, she, we call each other sister wife. And she's been on this podcast and I've been on hers. And it's... It was so funny because the first time she was on mine, she was like, so the second time she acknowledged that's the first time she was self-deprecating. And she's like, I need to work on that, you know? Um, but it was just like an awareness, right? It's like, okay, this is something that I can do. And for me, with the romance and finance, I realized when I did some work um, out of Louise Hayes' uh, book, um, You Can Heal Your Life, was that I had a worth problem, you know? I had a self-worth issue. Um, that was what was... The barrier and that was what was standing in my way. I didn't feel like I was worth being debt free and I didn't feel like I was worth being in a healthy, wholesome relationship, romantic relationship. I'm like, well, that's a problem, right? But once I realized that I was, that was what was going on, then I could do the work around that. And, you know, friends, if you haven't done work, and I know a lot of you have done work, get with someone that is a closed mouth friend that can kind of help direct you, whether it's therapy, whether it's 12 steps, whether it's, and we'll talk about this with Luke shortly, um, like soon, <laughs> neurofeedback meditation, I want to hear about that, you know, whether it's yoga, whatever it is, take that first step to do the work because you might just be surprised at what you find out. And it might not be so pretty initially. And in the end, it's like a diamond, literally a diamond, right? It's coal. Wait, it's coal, right? Like it has to go under pressure to become this beautiful thing. And so that is how we change and morph is through pressure. I mean, if you look at the physical body and someone is training for, I don't know, a marathon, for example, most people don't just get up and run 26 miles for the first time. They have to build up to it, and that's the resistance. That's the work. Just like weight training is resistance training. Um, so that means that it's not going to be smooth sailing, you know. So life is going to provide some resistance, and that's what helps our souls and our spirits and even the physical, um, but definitely the spiritual grow in a manner that would not take place if there wasn't that resistance, you know. And so that's a beautiful beautiful thing. So Luke, before we wrap up, and then I have to tell you one thing after you tell me and us about the neurofeedback meditation. Sure. So I go to a place here in LA called uh, Peak Brain Institute, and it's out in West LA. And they have a number of different locations. And essentially what neurofeedback is, it goes back, God, I'm not sure it originated. Um, um, don't quote me on this, but probably as far back as the 60s, I would say. And essentially, it involves um, hooking electrodes up to your scalp. And there is a computer that's um, that's receiving signals of brain waves from your brain via your scalp and then feeding back stimuli to you through your consciousness so that your brain sort of talks to itself. Sort of, it sounds wow. crazy. So, 
So there'll be certain tones and images, like the one that I do is like a driving game. So essentially, if you walked in a room and saw me doing neurofeedback, what it would look like is I'm sitting there playing a video game with no remote control, like no no joystick. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just sitting there like watching a video game. But really what's happening is I'm getting impulses to my brain through the optic nerve because my eyes are watching this. It's sending feedback to the computer. Then the computer is generating a certain response from the game or from the visual in terms of the sounds and what I'm seeing on a screen. And it's in training my brain by rewarding it to um, elevate certain brain waves, whether it be alpha or theta, and down-regulating other brain waves like um, beta, right? Mm -hmm. So... You know, your brain is producing energy all the time, essentially. And what neurofeedback does is it reads the energy coming out of your brain and then feeds back. That's why it's called neurofeedback. It's a feedback loop that gives that information back to your brain and encourages it to go in a certain direction. Mm, mm-hmm. So this is sort of working with the neuroplasticity of the brain. And um, I mean, neurofeedback is just, it's its amazing. It's a really, really powerful technology. Uh, I encourage anyone to check out um, Peak Brain. Um, I think it's peakbraininstitute.com or Peak Brain LA. It's easy to find. You just look up okay. Peak, Peak Brain Neurofeedback. And uh, Dr. Andrew Hill has also been a guest on my show, The Lifestylist Podcast, where he explains the whole thing, you know, in in much deeper um, terms, of course, than I do. He's a PhD professor at UCLA, <laughs> you know. He's he's a, literally a brainiac. Um, right. But what it's done for me, you know, it's not some, I mean, I have done different forms of it. I also did um, 40 Years of Zen, which is a totally different protocol with Dave Asprey from Bulletproof, um, Bulletproof Coffee. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they have their own uh, clinic, which I went to in Sedona at that time. Now it's in Seattle. So that was a little bit different, but, sa- you know, different, uh, the same modality, just with a different protocol, I guess you could say. So it's not so much uh, meditation, depending on which protocol totally. you do. But they have incredible results with, I mean, literally curing kids of ADHD, um, ADD. They work with a lot of veterans, uh, like just absolutely reversing PTSD and things like that. So um, one of the main benefits that I've found from it is just immediately like my sleep improving by 70%. I mean, just the day after my first neurofeedback session, if I wanted to work on sleep specifically, just absolutely crushing sleep. Um, also focus is something people use it a lot. A lot of entrepreneurs are into it. Um, type A, you know, personalities Mm -hmm. use it for, to achieve a state of calm focus, to Mm -hmm. be able to more easily drop into a flow state for creative projects and things like that. Uh, I also use it a lot for the management of anxiety. If I'm going through a particularly trying time, I'll go in two or three days a week and just treat anxiety so that I'm down-regulating the brain waves that are um, induce anxiety or that anxiety is causing. So it's a really powerful technology. And what's cool about it is it doesn't really require much for compliance. You just essentially have to get in there, get hooked up, spend about 28 minutes per session, and your brain just does it. It's awesome. not like it doesn't really require a lot of effort. The only effort for me is like not going on Instagram in the middle of a session or something, sure. you know. But essentially you're just in a quiet room by yourself and you're training your brain to behave how you want it to behave, whether that's to achieve a state of calm focus or to be more relaxed or more creative. It's really incredible. So that's what neurofeedback's all about. That is very cool. Um, last thing, have you heard of a brand called Seiko Designs? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh. I have to get you over some stuff. Um, so it's this company that is relatively new on the scene, but has gotten some pretty good, um, exposure. Um, and essentially what it is, is that, um, women in Uganda make, uh, handbags, shoes and sandals and jewelry. Um, because what was happening when Liz, um, Forkin Bahannon, the founder, she got her bachelor's in journalism years ago and went, bought a one-way ticket to Uganda and saw that there was such a gender inequality disparity, you know, and there's about 80%, um, unemployment in Uganda. So women that were finishing secondary school, which is the equivalent of our high school, were unable to continue after the nine-month gap period um, to university because they just didn't have financial resources to do so. So that's where Seiko Designs kind of came in as a bridge of hope, if you will. And so the women 
live together, work together. They're fed three meals. And during the nine month period, they're required that they're working for Seiko Designs. They're required to save at least 50% of their earnings. Some save up to 80%. And then Seiko Designs doubles their savings with matching funds. And then Seiko Fellows, um, which I'm one and a stylist as well, they do trunk shows, uh, live trunk shows, like Facebook events, Instagram stuff, you know, social media. And then the women are able to earn bonus scholarship money to cover their first year of university. And usually at that point, then they're able to um, connect with funding sources, um, having made that initial investment, and then they're able to finish. Um, And so each of us gets paired with a soul sister. And so we work to get them badges, right? So about $100 worth of project is one badge. And they their additional scholarship money is 325 badges, so $3,250. But the products, I mean, sometimes when businesses do this sort of thing, you're like, oh, it's a great cause. I love the mission. It really resonates with me. But then the stuff is trash, right? You're just like, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, I will give you money. I don't want anything, you know, in return. But that is not the case. Like I'm looking at my leather on my safari bucket bag and it feels like butter. Like it's just really lovely. Um, So anyway, I, wow, I that's really that's interesting. Yeah, uh, that, that sounds brand. very very cool. Send me some information on that, and I'll see. Maybe there might be a tie-in with School of Style or something like oh, that. Yeah. You know, I mean, we well, it's have over cool because th- you know you buy this buy Seiko and send a, a woman to school. So. Uh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Definitely send that to me. Yeah, yeah. Because we have about three thousand students now at this point um, at School of Style that are out working in the industry. So um, anything like that we that we find, we always forward to them and put in our private Facebook groups and all that stuff. So yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, definitely will. I'll cool. send it to you. So, all right. Well, we could probably talk for a long, long time, but we won't. Um, that I'll tends just, to happen, yes. Right? I'll just have you come back on again Anytime. at a later time. Awesome. I like to get the commitment on air so that no one can back out at a later time and say, actually, I didn't say that. I'm like, actually, you did. That's uh, you know, that's that's a good tactic. I'm going to use that too when I just do hour-long shows. What I do, because I'm in LA and I do so many of my podcast interviews in person because there's sure. so many amazing people here. Is I just lock them in a studio for like two and a half hours, there and then I go. make two I make two episodes out of it. Boom. <laughs> yeah. There you go. See, like, I don't even I don't even <laughs> want to have to rely on like booking them again in six months. I'm like, no, I'm putting a mic on you, and you are not moving At until all. like you like literally are going to pee your pants or something. It's so true. Well, so now y'all are onto our little tricks of the um of the trade, but yeah, no, it's. Well, you know what? And there are so many people that are amazing humans. Um, and everyone, I guess not everyone should probably be miked, but a lot of people have pretty rad, amazing, badass stories um, that people need to hear, you know, because it's inspiring. And there is something really powerful about, oh, I'm not the only one, you know, me too, that has happened to someone else. And so it's just kind of like the continuity of humanity is what I like to think of it as like, I am you, you are me. There are no others, you know, so. Right on. I love that. Cool beans. All right. So I've picked a couple stories for us, Luke, um, and then we will close out. And so friends, Luke is on Instagram, right? Luke's story. Is yep, it at, at Luke Story. Story. Okay, awesome. S-T-O-R-E-Y Story. That's right. And then his website, what is that? LukeStory.com. Perfect. Um, and then you'll see the School of Style linked from there. Um, so, yeah, definitely connect with him. He's cool as you know what. And he'll be back. So, so right thank on. you um, for being on the program today. Any, anytime. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. So this guy, well, he, he appears to be a guy and he has one crutch and a brace on the other leg. And it says a drunk girl fell on my leg. That is not great. Um, all right. So then one girl says, so I'll just do two more. Um, she's outside of a bar 
And it says, I've been off cocaine for about four months now. My parents stepped in and started randomly drug testing me. She's asked, did you resent them at the time? No, I only resented that they had to do it for me because I couldn't do it for myself. And then a couple, um, they seem fun. And it says, he kidnapped me last year and has been taking me around the world ever since. So I guess that's a good result if you're into that sort of thing. <laughs> awesome. Right? All that's right. Great. So, I honor the place within you where the entire universe resides. I honor the place within you of love, of light, of truth, of peace. I honor the place within you where when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me, there is only one of us. So, friends, thank you so much for your love and support. The love and light means so much to me. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast, write reviews, tell a friend. And until next time, my name is Chidima, also known as the Type A Hippie. Namaste.